Good morning. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it with me to John chapter 13 this morning. So if you are new or uh, do not have a Bible, again, we would love for you to take and even take home the Bible that is in the pew in front of you. Um, we'd love for you to just take that as our gift from you this morning. Uh, the book of John is one of the, the first four books in the New Testament that tell us everything we need to know about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you are new to the Bible, you find the New Testament, you're going to find Matthew, and then you'll find Mark, Luke, and you'll come to John. And again, you're looking for John chapter 13. As you make your way there this morning, I, I want you to take a moment with me to just imagine that you are sitting next to the, the bedside of, of someone you love with all of your heart. Think about those, those individuals that you care about, that you've poured your life into. Maybe they've poured your life in, poured their life into you, and you're sitting next to them, and yet this night is not like every other night. As you sit at their bedside, you know this is the last night that you are going to have with them in this life. Some of you don't have to imagine that. Some of you even recently, I know, have sat at the bedside of a, of a parent or a loved one who, who you know is soon about to exit this life and go to the next. What do you talk about in that moment? For most of us, our conversations in that moment are not going to be trivial. We're not going to talk in that moment about politics. We're not going to talk about, no matter how much we love entertainment, we're not going to talk about who won the Oscars. We're not going to talk about our new cleaning strategy that Marie Kondo taught us on Netflix. We're not going to talk about any of those kind of things. On the last night with someone that you love, words matter. And you know that. And So if you're like most people, you're going to speak what matters most in that time. You're going to try to communicate the love and the care for you, ha you have for those individuals that you love most in your life. Well, this morning, as we come to John chapter 13, uh, aside from the bedside, that's the exact scenario that, that we come to. Uh, from this morning until Easter Sunday, we're going to take a break from our study of the book of Genesis to, to, to look at these passages that, that tell us exactly what happened on the last night that Jesus had with his disciples. The very last 24-hour period, it's interesting, if you've never read the book of John, the first 12 chapters cover the three years of Jesus' ministry. It's nonstop action, telling us what Jesus did and, and also who he is. But when you get to John chapter 13, something interesting happens. If, for those of you that have iPhones, if you pull it out and you look at your camera setting, you know that one of the, the modes that you can go into is called slow-mo. My kids love this on the iPhone. It goes, it's a video and it takes action that is at normal speed and it slows it down. Well, that's what happens in the book of John. You get to chapter 13 and on and, and really from three years in chapters 1 through 12, all of a sudden he looks in essence at one 24-hour period from this point to the end of the book. And then you see his resurrection at the very end. One 24-hour period. In this 24-hour period, we see Jesus arrested. We see him betrayed. We see him uh, tried. We see him beaten, and ultimately we see him crucified. But before any of those events take place, we, we get this intimate glimpse of Jesus with his disciples. We get to see what he talks about that matters most in the final hours of his life. 
The setting for this particular passage, John 13, comes right before what's often known as the Last Supper. If, if you're a fan of artwork, you've probably, in your mind, you have that picture of Leonardo da Vinci's work of this picture, Jesus seated at a table surrounded by his disciples. This is a very important text. It's a very well-known text. And yet, my fear is that oftentimes, as we think about this passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, I think many times we miss the point of this text. Many times I've heard sermons that, that look at this text and they, they use it as a moralistic example of, hey, all of you, you need to go out and just serve others. You need to be humble and serve others. And while we're going to see, that is a definite implication of this text. First and foremost, what we un, must understand in this text is that Jesus demonstrates the extent of his love. Jesus demonstrates the extent of his service. This passage is primarily about him and what he is doing and also what he is going to do. One of the most powerful verses in all of John chapter 13, I think, is verse 1. David mentioned it earlier in that confessional reading. But let's read it together. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, and that's going to be significant that this is happening at the time of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This morning, more than anything else, I want you to reflect on those words. Jesus loved them to the end. The extent of Jesus' love is not like the world's love. It's a love that does not wear out. It is a love that, that goes all the way to the end. But who does this text say that the object of his love is? I think many people hear that and they think, well, it's just love in a general way. Jesus, of course, loves the world. He loves all these things, but that's not what the text says. His love that goes to the end is love for his own. That's important. The object of Jesus' love is his disciples. This, this newly forming community of God, those who are trusting in Jesus, what we now know as the church. These people who have turned from their sin, repented of their sin, and trusted him and followed him. He says, the love that I have for these people goes to the end. If you're here this morning and you are his, the extent of his love goes to the end. Well, we get to see what that looks like in verse 2. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. That's a significant picture, but, but one thing I don't want you to miss here, and what I think makes this truly remarkable, this act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, is what the text says Jesus knows. Did you notice that as you were reading through the text? It said Jesus knew this, and Jesus knew this, and Jesus knew that. In verse 1, it says that Jesus knew it was his time to depart out of the world. At other times in his ministry, he had very clearly said to his disciples, or even to his own mother, he said, it is not yet my time. But here, in John chapter 13, he knows the time has come. My time has come. He knows what's at stake on this night. He knows the pain and agony that awaits him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if you know agony is coming, think about events in your life where you know pain's coming. Maybe it's a surgery that's coming, or maybe it's a, a hard conversation that's coming up. Maybe you know you're about to be fired, and you know you're entering into a very difficult season. When that happens in my life, I get consumed with myself. I can't think about anything else or anyone else. I'm consumed with, how does this impact me? What is this going to do to me? But when you look at Jesus, he's the exact opposite. Jesus knows the emotional and physical and spiritual torment that awaits him in that 24-hour period. He knows it is his time. And yet, what does he do? He meets the most basic need of the disciples. That is love that goes to the end. But that's not all. Verses 3 and 4 tell us that he also knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he knew he both came from God and was going to God. That too is significant. Jesus knows his status, right? He knows that he is the Son of God, that he's come from God and goes to He knows that he has unlimited power at his disposal. Which means at any moment Jesus could have said, Enough! I'm not going to that cross. How dare my creation, those who I created, those who I knew from the, before the beginning of time, how dare they mock me? How dare they put me onto a Roman cross? He could have, but what does he do? He uses his status as the only son of God. He uses the unlimited power at his disposal to stoop down and to serve his disciples. That is love that goes to the end. But then finally, down in verse 11, and we're going to come back to this, but we read he knew who was going to betray him. In verse 2, it says that it was already on the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. See, Jesus fully understood that he was serving a bunch of disciples that in no way deserved his love. The disciples had not earned his love. And this is where the Jesus' love is so much different than the world that most of us have in this life. Uh, for most of us, we look at love uh, very much like a consumer product. We go out into the world and we say, if you have something to offer me, we go into our workplace or our marriage or whatever it is, if you offer me something, if you can bring me something, then ka I will give you my love. If you have something to offer, then I will serve you. So we look at our politicians and we say, if, if you will bring me a greater tax refund, if you will bring me and, and my group more power, ka you have my love. Or we look at our spouse and say, if you will meet my needs, then ka-ching, you can have my love. We look at love as an earned product, but that's not the case with Jesus. You look at his love for these disciples, and, and these disciples in many ways throughout his ministry had shown and proven themselves to be unlovable. Over and over again, even in this text, we, we see the disciples' total failure to understand what Jesus was trying to teach them. In fact, even uh, in this passage, it's not here in John, but in the book of Luke, it tells us at this very dinner that the disciples were arguing over who was greatest in the kingdom of God. I want you to think about that picture. The disciples were convinced that Jesus was going to be the kind of Messiah that would kick out the Romans, that would come into to power. And so they were fighting over who gets to be the highest seat in his cabinet. You had one disciple over here saying, I, I get to be the secretary of state. The other disciples said, no, 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 you're only worthy to be over transportation. I'm the Secretary of State. They're fighting over who's greatest, and Jesus is about to be crucified. That's his group of disciples. And yet, what does it say? 
says Jesus stooped down and washed their feet. And not only some of their feet, he washed all of them. Which means when he came to Judas, to the feet of the one who was about to go and betray him, what did he do? He washed his feet. When he came to Peter, his close friend who was about to deny even knowing him three times, what did he do? He washed his feet. He came to Thomas, the one who would doubt the resurrection, the one that would demand physical evidence. And what does he do? He washes his feet. This is the extent of the love Jesus demonstrates towards those who are his. Even though he is the Son of God, with unlimited power at his disposal, ultimate status, and even though we have fallen short of his glory in almost every way conceivable, he loved us to the end. Friends, if you are here this morning and you are his, this is unbelievably good news today. That he loved you to the end. That his love never wears out. No matter what circumstances you face today, I realize that there are many of you that walk into this place discouraged. Maybe some of you are battling anxiety, some of you are battling sin, and you're, you're wondering, does Jesus love me if you are his? If you are one of those who has repented of sin and trusted in him, you need to know Jesus loves you to the end. You never have to doubt whether Jesus loves you this morning, no matter what your circumstances may say. The challenge for us is to rest in that love, for us to grow in our understanding of that love. And that's why Paul prays for Christians like he does in Ephesians. He prays this way. He says, I pray that you may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints, that's all other Christians, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He loved them to the end. So with that extent of his love in mind, I want us to now look at what he does. He serves the disciples by getting up from the table and washing their feet. Now I realize for those of you that are into pedicures and that kind of thing, this may not seem like a big deal to you. Uh, It's always been an odd uh, idea to me that somebody's going to do that to your feet. But in this culture, you need to understand that, that humbling yourself to wash someone's feet was the most humbling thing imaginable. In fact, it was unimaginable that a person of status, of any status, of any standing in society, that they would stoop down to wash someone's feet. You have to remember, in this culture, they they didn't have Nikes. They had sandals. And so if it was hot outside, their feet were going to be very dirty. They're going to have covered in dirt. If it's rainy, they're going to be covered in mud. There was no greater need when you went into someone's home than to have someone wash your feet. And for this reason, it was reserved for the the lowest of their society. Uh, I totally understand this. I am not a foot person. I don't get it. Uh, I have not done any scientific evidence, okay? So this is not scientific research, but I think we can all agree feet have got to be at least in the top three of the ugliest parts of the body. I think we can agree with that. Feet are gross. And in that culture, they were even grosser, and so they reserved it for the lowest of the low. The Jews of that day, oftentimes, wouldn't even allow their servants to wash their Jewish servants to wash somebody's feet. They would go out and find their Gentile servant. Only the lowest of the low would do this. That's why it's not a surprise that at this table, none of the other disciples are getting up saying, hey, I'll wash everybody's feet. It would have been deemed unfitting in their day for any of them at that table to wash the feet of the others. 
And yet, verses 4 and 5 say that while the others were getting ready to eat, Jesus laid down his outer garments and he tied a towel around his waist. That, by the way, is, is the dress of that day of a menial slave. And it says that he humbled himself and bent down and met their most basic need, the cleaning of their feet. The disciples, for their part, they had no idea what to do about this. <laughs> I can imagine that, that it was a moment of intense, awkward silence. We've all kind of been in those things before. Who's going to say something? Well, wouldn't you know it, Peter's the one that says, okay, I'll speak up for the group. It says in verse 6, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now really, this is not just a question. Peter's indignant. He's saying, you are going to wash my feet? Jesus looks at him and says, what, what I'm doing for you, you're going to understand later, but Peter doesn't understand. And it's true, you look at the disciples, they didn't understand until they had the Holy Spirit. They couldn't get it. But So Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. You can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. See, there are a number of times in the Gospels where Jesus is trying to get across a spiritual point, a spiritual reality, but people don't get it because their focus is on the physical. You see this over and over again in John 4. He's talking to the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And it says this in John 4, verse 13. Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's an incredible statement, but I want you to listen to how the woman, the Samaritan woman, responds. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. It's what any of us would do. She's thinking about the physical. She's thinking, I want the water where I don't ever have to come back to this thing. She misses the point because she's focused on the physical water instead of the spiritual reality that that water symbolized. Well, that's exactly what's happening in this text with Peter. Jesus washing his disciples' feet was not only a physical demonstration of his humble love toward his disciples. It was a symbolic act that anticipated the greater love, the greater laying down of his life on the cross. You see, everything from 13 on is pointing the way, it's anticipating and unpacking what Jesus is about to do through his death burial, and resurrection. And that's what we see as Jesus humbles himself and lays himself at their feet. Jesus' humbling was about much more than about cleaning their feet. It was about Jesus' willingness to do everything necessary to cleanse not our feet, but our hearts from both the penalty and the power of sin. What he was doing was anticipating the cross. And that's why Paul picks up on this theme in Philippians 2, verse 3, when he's talking about how we are to serve one another. He says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only to his own, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, if you're connected to him who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a, a thing to be used for his own advantage. 
did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, none of us is deserving of this kind of love. And yet I don't want us to miss the fact that he does this in readiness for this Passover celebration. That's not an insignificant thing in the book of John. You think about Passover, for those of you that are, that are new to reading the Bible, this idea that we call Passover, the very first one occurred on the last night the Hebrews were in captivity in, in Egypt, all the way book in the back in the book of Exodus. Because of Pharaoh's reluctance to release the people of God, God said he was going to bring judgment on the land that the firstborn of, of every living thing would die. This was a severe judgment. But in his grace, like he does, God made a way of salvation. He looked at his people and through Moses, God told them the one thing that will save you, the only thing that will save you and your family is if you Go to the doorpost of your home and you cover it with blood. There had to be a cost for their salvation. Their cost was a death, but it couldn't be the blood of, of just anything. It had to be the blood of a perfect, spotless lamb. He said, where the blood of the lamb covers you in your home, there will be salvation on that night when death comes. Well, friends, when you think in light of that about what Jesus does for us here, you can see that this has tremendous significance. Jesus is the spotless lamb. He was unstained. He, he, though he was tempted in every way as we are tempted, he did not sin. He was perfect in every way, blameless in every way. He perfectly lived up to the righteous standards that God had given. And because of that, He was able to become the perfect sacrifice for us. So when it says that Jesus humbled himself and washed their feet, he's pointing to this future moment where he wouldn't just wash feet, but that he would humble himself all the way to a death on a cross where he took the punishment for sin that we deserved. He took everything, the wrath of God upon himself so that his own, so that those who trust in him wouldn't have to face that. Because they are covered in his blood, they are forgiven. They are saved. Death does not enter their life. This is significant, friends. This is the kind of love that Jesus has. And this is why John the Baptist shouts when he sees Jesus. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is our Jesus. But like many of us, Peter didn't get it. He didn't get it. He didn't understand his, his predi- the predicament of his sin. He was stuck looking at the physical reality instead of looking at his spiritual condition. And he says, Jesus, you shall never wash me. And that's what all of us do. Most all of us, when we, we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, I don't really need you to wash me. I can handle this. I'm not really that dirty. My sin hasn't created that big of a stain. It hasn't really separated from me, me from you. I can clean this on my own. I don't need you to wash me. I can wash myself. And so what do we do? We go and we try to live a good life. We follow the commandments. We even may go to church. We try to be generous. We try to fight for social justice. We try for our good to outweigh our bad. And we think, surely this will make me acceptable to God. 
Surely all of this good stuff that I did, surely it cleans the bad stuff from my life. We all want many roads back to God. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says that's just not the case. Verse 8, what does he say? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That word part is used in the Bible to talk a lot of times about an inheritance of eternal nature. So what Jesus is saying here is unless I wash you, unless my death, my blood covers your life, forgives you of sin, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. You have no salvation. You have no relationship with God. Friends, you need to understand that what Jesus said to Peter is true of every single one of you in this room this morning. Unless you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb of God, unless the Lamb of God has taken away your sins, you can have no part with Him. My question is very simple this morning. Have you been washed by Jesus? Or are you standing there like Peter saying, "Ah, I'm good, I don't need you, I can earn my way, I can scrub myself clean. Jesus says, no, unless you, I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you place your faith and trust completely in what I have done for you on the cross and realize that your works are like filthy rags, no matter how good they are, until then you are not clean. You have no part with me. My great prayer for you this morning I don't know what you've come into this room with. I don't know your background, where you're at with God. But my great prayer for you this morning is that you would go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to clean me today. I need what you did on the cross. I can't do this on my own. I can't earn my way back to you. Would you wash me? Would you forgive me? Thank you for dying for my sins. Church, it is only when we experience this kind of love, the extent of Jesus' love for us, that we will have any opportunity, any chance of living out the commands given in the rest of this passage. Because here what he, here's what he says in verse 12. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? The answer is no, they didn't. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, in this passage, not only do we first and foremost see the extent of Jesus' love for his own, but we also see Jesus provide the pattern of Christian love. The pattern of Christian love that we are to exhibit to a world that needs to know Jesus, that needs to know the love that he has for them. On this last night where his disciples are fighting over who is the greatest, Jesus shows them that true greatness will only be found in your life when you humble yourself and you love and serve the people around you, when you humbly meet their their deepest need, first and foremost, that they would have a relationship with God, but also their physical needs as well. 
Jesus provides both the pattern and the fuel of this kind of love. Because here's the thing. The worst thing that could happen today is for you to go out and say, okay, I got this. I'm going to go and serve and love people because the reality is you're not going to do it. And if you do do it, you're going to end very wearied. It's a burden you cannot bear. But here's the difference. I want you to think about it like this. Um, Perhaps imagine with me this morning that, that you're Mark Zuckerberg. Mark, if you're actually here, because I know you live in this city, then welcome. We're glad you're here. But I don't think anybody in here is Mark Zuckerberg. But imagine you have billions of dollars at your disposal. Now, if you go out and you meet someone and they have a physical need, are you not going to try to meet that need? Yes. You've got billions of dollars. Of course, you're going to pour out and you're going to meet needs all around. You're going to be generous. But the problem for most of us is we aren't Mark Zuckerberg. We have limited resources, so what do we do? We go out, and instead of always thinking, how can I look for ways to give away my money, we think, how can we get money? That's what's on our thought. How can I get? How can I get? How can I get from other people? Well, the same is true of of love and service. For many of us, we we walk throughout life, and because our love account, our love bank account is, is empty, we're going out, and we look around, and we say, who can love me? Who can serve me? We go into our relationships and our marriage and our children and our coworkers, and we say, who can serve me? But what this passage says is that the Christian has the most overflowing bank account of love than any other person in the world. We have that love. Jesus loved us to the end. His love for us is surpassing anything that we could ever comprehend. Our love account is full. And when we realize that, when we're resting in that, the more we increasingly see that, the more we are going to go out and say, if my master was willing to stoop down and serve other people, to not look what it's in it for him, but to look out for the needs of others, then I too, as his servant, he is my Lord, I'm going to represent him. No task is too low. Jesus, wash feet. I too can meet the needs of the people in my life, both spiritual and spiritual physical church family this morning i just want to take a moment and i just want to commend you because i see this kind of love being demonstrated literally on a weekly basis in the life of this congregation i was thinking back even over just the last few weeks and the ways that i've seen you live this out and i just want to encourage you i see this in you i saw it in one of our kindergartners who recently went around asking people to donate coats so that she could gather them take them to people on the street, and to share how much Jesus loves them. Love that. Our kids' ministry is putting together a great thing where our kids are understanding the love of God and what that means for them. I see it in many of our young adults who give up a lot of their time during the week just to meet together in order to encourage one another in their battles with sin and struggles and all of those different things to help one another take one step closer to Jesus. I see that. I see it in many of our adults who right now are sacrificing much to serve their aging parents. Even this last week, I I talked to three of you who are pouring out your life, seeking to serve your parents who are having health issues, some of them cancer, some of them dementia. I want you to know I see your love so that they may know that Jesus loves them as well. I've seen this humble love in our deacons who have spent many recent Saturdays, literally the entire day, cleaning up one of our older church members' home so that she can come back to a a place of safety after her physical rehab. I've seen it in many of our retirees who have said no to cruising around the world so that they can serve the kingdom of God. 
whether it's just taking care of this building during the week, meeting our administrative needs. I think of Tim and Gracer Wiarda, who we are, as a church, sending out, praying for and sending out to go and serve the needs of pastors in Africa right after the service. Giving up retirement that the world gives for the sake of the kingdom of God. I want you to know, church, and I commend you, I see your love in action. I see the overflowing love of Christ flow through you to one another, and I commend you this morning. But it is important for each one of you in this room to ask yourself this question. Are you loving and humbly serving others in the same pattern that Jesus has provided in this text? Each one of us has to ask that question. You know your own heart. You know your actions. Does the pattern of your life represent the humble service of your king? Think about it this morning. Or are there tasks that you go from this place during the week and you say, yeah, but that's too low for me. I'm I'm willing to serve at this level, but I'm not willing to serve here. That's too much. There's too much asked. It's too dirty. It's too messy. It's too long. Are we serving in the way that Jesus served? Here's another question. Does your love take the form of action? Lots of people talk love and service. And I think a lot of you uh, desire to love and serve others, but has that love and desire turned into action? The love that Jesus exhibited was a love of action. (laughs) He, He served by washing their feet. He served by taking upon himself the crown of thorns and dying on the cross. He acted in love. Notice verse 17, the very last verse, it says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not blessed are you if you know them. Blessed are you if you do them. Perhaps today, by the grace of God, that thing that God has put on your heart that you've just been waiting on, he's called you to humbly serve, and you know it. Perhaps by the grace of God today, with his power, you can go from this place and live that out this week. Third question for you as we close together, do you serve those who are difficult to love and those you deem unworthy of your love? I was thinking about our our junior high, high school students. Do you love those in your classes that are obnoxious? That the rest of your class sees as outcast? Do you love and serve them? For those of you in the workplace, do you love and humbly serve those that are constantly working to get ahead of you in the job? Do you love the Judases of your life? Do you love those who have forsaken you in friendship? Do you humbly serve them? Not do you love them in a general way, but do you act in love toward those individuals? I am grateful that Jesus, even though he knew the depth of my rebellious heart toward him, loved me to the end. We are a church that is called to do the same for others. Finally, does your love and service toward others go to the end? Or is there a limit that you've placed on the service that you're willing to provide? Does it go to the end? Chapter 15, Jesus is going to go on to say, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Are you laying down your life for others? Going to the end. Friends, unless the love of Jesus invades our hearts, unless we realize that this passage of him washing feet points to the cross and how much love that he has for us, we will never be filled up to be able to love and serve people in this way. But I'll tell you this, the more you grow in that love, the more you rest in Jesus' love for you and what he's done for you, I'm telling you, it will change you. And you will be empowered to go out and live out this command. I conclude with this poem that says this, 
The Son of God, his glory hides with parents mean and poor. And he who made the heavens abide in village home obscure. He in whose sight the angels stand, around whose throne they meet, now stoops prepared on bended knee to wash his followers' feet. Jesus loved to the end. May we be filled and humbled and empowered to give that same love to one another. Let's pray together. This morning, we want to give you just a moment. We know you have busy weeks, busy lives. And so I just want to give you a moment of of complete just quiet for you to be able to have some time for prayer. If you have never come to that place where you've said, Jesus, I need what you have accomplished for me on the cross. I need to be washed. Today can be that day. He knows your heart. Would you just cry out to him, God, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to forgive me. I've tried to wash myself. I've tried to do all these things, but I realize my my works are nothing. I need you. Apart, unless you cleanse me, I have no part with you. Would you cry out to him today? For those of you who know Christ, for those of you who, who are his, today I just want you to take a moment to thank him for loving you to the end. Would you reflect on that in the midst of your circumstances? I know many of them are hard. Would you reflect on this truth that he loved you to the end? Think about the way that he did that. And then would you ask Jesus in this moment to empower you to love and serve others in that same way?